Well, good morning. If you have a copy of God's Word, if you'll turn with me to Psalm chapter 8. Um, while you're turning there, I'd like to point out something pretty significant. We started a food drive um, for Stowe Mission, and my team is winning by a lot. There's Joe. He's not in here to hear me harass him a little bit, so keep that up. Um, if you want to be part of the winning team, even if your name is uh, A through J, feel free to put it over here. We won't tell anybody. Um, you're welcome to do that. Hey, I also want to point out, too, we, our mission team left Friday morning. They flew out. Um, what an honor to serve with those kids for a few days. Uh, it was just a blessing. Um, just to give you some context, what they did, Sunday we went over to a mosque um, down in Columbus, and they allowed us to just kind of observe and ask questions, and we got to ask questions of them. Um, started a friendship with the imam there at the mosque. He's going to come over to the Finding Hope Center to see what we do there, take a tour of our church. Um, a couple of them asked if they could come and participate in a worship service that we do eventually. And uh, so God just opened up some doors there, which is so significant. Um, helped a couple elderly ladies with some yard work. The mission team, without hesitation, shared the gospel with both of them. They both affirmed that they knew Jesus and had a relationship. Um, they served at two summer camps down on the north side of Hilliard, uh, south side of Dublin as well. Again, unapologetically, they were sharing the gospel with these kids. Um, it's a Christian organization, so we were allowed to do that, but I reminded them. I said, just go for it. I'd rather get kicked out for sharing Jesus than allowed to stay for not. So um, they shared Jesus unapologetically. They filled up three trailers. If you know our big, giant, like 24-foot trailer, filled that up three times for the Finding Hope Center. Um, as of like late last week, that room was almost empty. It was kind of sad. And now it's like overflowing. God provides. Uh, it's just incredible. Um, and then they did pickups for the Finding Hope Center as well. Um, and they were sharing the gospel literally with every stop that we went to. And I counted it up this week alone. That mission team shared the gospel over 30 times with people in our community, telling them about Jesus and I mean, just wild. And what was funny about it is so many of them, they now follow our church on Instagram. And uh, we were kind of looking through some of their stuff this week. Like, all of them want to move to Columbus now. Like, they've fallen in love with Columbus. And so we live here, and we're like, eh. Like, oh, if you say so. But, like, for them just to come, you know, our phrase here is we're living in the middle of a miracle. Um, they got to experience a glimpse of that, and they want to move here. And I read some of those. I'm like, have you heard about North Carolina? You know, like, that's a cool place, too. But uh, they, they want to move to Columbus, Ohio, and uh, it wouldn't shock me in a couple years from now as those kids start to graduate that maybe they look for jobs in this city so that they can be part of God's activity in this church. And so uh, incredibly, incredibly special. Well, hey, Psalm chapter 8, if you're there in your Bible, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, we're starting this little mini-series today that we're calling Summer in the Psalms. And uh, Psalm chapter 8, all eight verses, and David writes these words, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You have covered the heavens with your majesty, and from the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you have established a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. When I observe your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being that you remember him, a son of man that you look after him? You made him a little less than God and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and you put everything under his feet. Verse 7, all the sheep and oxen as well as all the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. Verse 9, Lord our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. And Lord, as I, I pray is, Lord, we just dive into this psalm this morning. 
God, that your spirit would speak to us, teach us, grow us, mold us, and form us into the image of Jesus. Would you give us ears that we need to hear from you, hearts, God, soft hearts, to receive your word, Lord. Not that we just hear it, but we do something with it so that we can live it out the rest of our week as we walk with Jesus. It's in your name we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. So as we've been approaching this series, I I keep being reminded of this simple phrase that maybe you've heard me share a version of it recently, but the phrase is this as we approach the next five weeks in the Psalms. It's that the Bible is God talking to us, yet in the Psalms, we learn how to talk to God. You see, as I've been thinking through this, praying through this, taking notes, reading the Psalms personally, I think many of us, an area that we struggle with, if we're honest, is simply talking to God. If we're honest, one of the reasons, and I know this is true for me, is maybe one of the reasons I don't talk to God as much as I should is because I'm just not sure what to say. Yet like any other relationship, and as we're going to see here in the Psalms these next few weeks, the more we communicate with God, what happens, the stronger our bond gets. Any relationship that's going to have any depth ultimately is going to be formed and foundationed on communication. And so what I want us to do here in the Psalms for the next five weeks, this will take us to the end of the summer, is I just want us to look very simply at the ways that David talked to God. I want us to see very simply how he talked to God in in these times of praise that we're looking at today. How did David talk to God? In times of lament and sorrow, how did David talk to God? When he was thanking God and just seasons of thanksgiving for God's activity around him, how did David talk to God? In times of suffering and in joy, what did David say to God? How did he talk to him? And through our simple observations, my prayer has been that these observations and these habits that we see in the life of David as he's writing these scriptures would then overflow to my life and your life as we learn to talk to God more. So I'm going to give us a little context to the Psalms here, so bear with me for just a moment. P.S., by the way, screaming babies in church is awesome because that means we have another generation of kids that are growing up in here. And also in Psalm chapter 8, verse 2, it says that babies establish a stronghold against the adversary. What does that mean? That a crying baby is actually God's, like, screaming out to the devil, you lose, I'm a creator, back off, cry all you want. Adults crying in church is not okay, but babies, <laughs> babies is fine. Hey, in the scriptures, as we approach Psalm chapter 8, there's several literary genres in, in the Bible I want us to be aware of. We've talked about this before. In the Bible, there's six main genres that you're going to encounter, narratives, letters, history, prophecy, poetry. There's six of these things that you're going to encounter in the Bible and wisdom literature. I forgot to mention that as well. And what's interesting about the scriptures is depending on what you read depends on how you interpret it. So you need to know what you're reading so you know how to interpret it well. So let me give you an example. Um, When you read narrative, so like the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, when you read letters, so think of the letter to the 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, uh, the letter to the Galatians, which we studied earlier this year, or you read historical things like Exodus, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, those are often very literal in their interpretation. So let me give you an example of this. This, Again, just to make sure we're on the same page. If I made this kind of a statement, if I simply said, it's hot outside, that's a very simple, literal truth. That's what you encounter in historical and in narrative and in those very literal books of the Bible. But there's also books of the Bible more like the Psalms, which are um, poetry, books like Proverbs, which are wisdom literature, some of the prophetic books, 
are more like this, where they function more on symbolism and metaphor. So very literal for me to say, well, it's hot outside. You know exactly what I mean. But if I were to come to you and I made this kind of a statement, the temperature outside resembles the intensity of a thousand suns. I just said the exact same thing. It's hot outside. The temperature outside resembles the intensity of a thousand suns. But how you interpret both of those is vastly different. I, I don't want to read the temperature outside is the intensity of a thousand suns and think to myself, my goodness, there must be a thousand suns outside right now that are all beating down on the earth and the intensity is so much. That's, that's terrible interpretation. So when we approach the Psalms, understanding that sometimes these writers are going to use symbolic and metaphorical truth, we need to make sure that we're reading, interpreting, and understanding correctly. Let me give you two more examples. Look here in your Bible. Psalm chapter 7, verse 14. The, the, the psalmist there says this word. See, the wicked one is pregnant with evil. Is that literal? No, David's not looking at some woman walking around with a big belly who's walking around and going, ha, 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 my child is wicked. You know, that's not what's going on. Some of you are like, you didn't know my kid, right? That's not what's happening here. That's very symbolic. That's, that's metaphorical. Let me give you another one here. Um, Psalm chapter 8, verse 3, which we're going to look at in just a minute. When I observe, the work, uh, observe your heavens and the work of your fingers, he's talking about God. Does God have fingers? We don't know, honestly. Pr probably not. God has got a spirit. Probably doesn't have fingers. What's David doing? He's using metaphor, an anthropomorphic description of God. Okay, so make sure when we approach this kind of a book that sometimes there's going to be symbolism and metaphor that you're going to read, and you've got to be really careful because you could get some really bad interpretation if you're not careful. Second thing I want us to know about the Psalms. Often these were written in the form of a song. They were poetic in nature. Look in your Bible. This is so important. Again, paper copies of the Scripture, a lot of times in your electronic copies, they'll show this. Look at the very beginning right before verse 1. You see who the writer of the psalm is. It says a psalm of David before you even get to the very first verse. That's important. We need to know who the author. There's several authors of the psalms, but we need to know who the author is. Secondly, it says who it was written for. What's it say? For the choir director. Does that mean that Pastor Joe is supposed to have this big choir behind him and he sings this psalm? He could. But this was actually specific. You should try this sometime. That would be kind of cool. Uh, but this was specifically written for a choir that met in the tabernacle that worshipped God. You can read in 1 Chronicles chapter 6, chapter 15, and chapter 16 that there were three families that were basically in charge of tabernacle worship. So in the Old Testament, they remember they had the tabernacle. It was this portable tent where God met with his people as a place of worship of God. There were three families and all of their sons that were in charge of, of worship. You can actually read in 1 Chronicles chapter 16, at the end of David's life, right when he was transferring the kingship over to Solomon, it says that there were 4,000 people that were tasked in the tabernacle with the worship of God. That literally means that their, their job... 24-7 was to be in the tabernacle and to sing and to play instruments. Can you imagine? We think of that and we're like, well, that's a stupid job. You know why we think that? Because we don't realize how worthy of our worship God is. Like David led the nation of Israel to understand how worthy of worship God was to the point where they had 4,000 people who their only job was to sing in worship to God. Why? Because he deserves it. Our God deserves it. 
And so David would often write these psalms under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. This is scripture in order to be used in the tabernacle for worship. But here's the last thing, and then we're going to get to our verses. David also indicates what kind of instrument you're supposed to play with each psalm. I thought that was kind of cool. Look again in your Bible, right at the beginning of Psalm chapter 8, before you get to verse 1. For the choir director on the gittith. We read that, and I'm like, what is that? It was a stringed instrument, similar maybe to a harp, similar to maybe our guitar. It was an instrument from a place called Gath. You remember who was from Gath? Goliath. When David defeated Goliath, it's potentially likely that he also took one of their instruments, a pagan nation's instrument, brought it back to Israel and said, we're going to use this once pagan tool to now as an instrument to the worship of our God. Sing his praises, how magnificent our God is. Friends, the Psalms are so rich. And so when we understand that, it helps us interpret it. So what can we learn from Psalm chapter 8 here on how David talks to God? I love looking at the Psalms because I think they serve as a blueprint It gives us a a posture to take as we talk to God, as David is is expressing gratitude and honor to God for who he is and what he's done. What kind of things does he praise him for? Three things. Take notes. This is so good. First, David praises God for God's presence. David praises God for his presence. Look at verse 1 again. Lord, our Lord, how magnificent is your name throughout the earth. You've covered the heavens with your majesty. Y'all remember that old hymn? that we sang growing up. Somebody want to stand up and sing it for us? Because I, Joe, sing it for us. No, I'm just kidding. Remember that? Oh, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is you. Remember that song? Anybody? Guys, whatever. I thought it was awesome. I read the psalm this week. I'm like, that's where that came from. And I sang it in my office by myself. But I, but I love this. What's David doing here? In a psalm of praise... He's bookending Psalm chapter 8 in verse 1 and verse 9 with praise for God's presence. Like he wants us to start with God's presence and praise him for it. And he wants us to end with God's presence and praise him for it. Let me show this to you. Look right there in your Bible. The very first word is the word Lord. Hopefully your Bible capitalizes all four letters in that. L-O-R-D. Hopefully they're all capital in that first word Lord. Why is that? Because David is using the personal name of God to start off Psalm chapter 8 to praise him for his presence. It's it's the name Yahweh. That's God's personal name. It's the name he gave Moses in Exodus when he encountered him at the burning bush. God's personal name, it simply means that God is a promise keeper. That what God says, he's going to come through on. God's name literally means I exist. He told Moses, Moses said to him, "Uh, who who am I going to say sent me to rescue the Israelites? You remember what God said? I am, and then he goes on to say, I am who I am. What does that mean? God's name literally means no one's like me. No one will ever be like me. I'm incomparable. Who, do, who can you even describe me? Uh, I am, and who's like me? Me. <laughs> That's what God literally says. Like, I exist, and the only way to describe me is I'm, I'm a lot like me. Because <laughs> I'm indescribable is what God tells us. And that's the name he uses right here. David chooses to use that. Then he he moves. So we got Yahweh, L-O-R-D, all capital. Then David transitions to Lord again. Look at it. Lord, our Lord. That's Adonai. That's the name of God that that represents really um, boss, master, sovereign ruler of the universe. So David starts, he says, um, the all-existing one, the sovereign master of the universe. No one's name is like you. Where's David pointing us? Watch this. I want to read this to you specifically. 
No matter where you go, in any corner of the earth, there is nowhere you will find a greater name than God. No matter where you go, in any corner of the earth, there is nowhere you will find a greater name than our God. You could travel to the farthest point of any place in the cosmos, and you will never find a greater name worthy of more worship than our God. And friends, when we actually become aware of our God's name, we have no choice, David shows us, but to worship him. He goes on to say, look, he says uh, right here, verse 1, Lord, our Lord, how magnificent, your Bible might say, how majestic is your name throughout the earth. What's he saying? David says, when I look out across the expanse of creation, I I can't help but praise you. Why? Because creation screams your majesty. Look at Psalm chapter, one, uh, chapter 19, verse 1. I memorized this verse years ago when I was in college. They made us do this. But it said, The heavens declare the glories of God, and the skies proclaim the work of his hands. What's David reminding us? That, that not only is God's name to be praised in all corners of creation, it's that even if you and I won't do it, creation still will. I love that. You know that you and I are the only disobedient creatures that God has ever made? that creation will scream his praises even if we won't. That's why Jesus, remember at the triumphal entry when the the crowds were praising him and the Pharisees and the disciples said, no, you need to make them stop. You need to make them stop. What did Jesus say? If they don't, those daggone rocks are going to start screaming about me because they don't have a choice. They're going to. You remember that old song? It talks about like uh, God set up how far the oceans could go. You know, the ocean never ventured farther than God told it to go because it obeys. Every animal that's ever existed functions out of the instinct that God put inside of it. The sun has never stopped rising. It just keeps doing what God told it to do. The moon will always rise up into the night sky. Why? Because God said so. Creation will always scream the praise of God. So let's tie up this first point. Want to know how to talk to God? Friends, one of the things we could get a lot better at doing is simply praising him for his presence. Simply praising God for the presence that we see of him around us. There's no greater name than our God. Flip over to the New Testament, Philippians chapter 2. There's no greater name than Jesus. Remember what Paul said to the church in Philippi? That at the name of Jesus, every knee will someday bow, either voluntarily or forcefully. We understand that? You have an opportunity in this life to bow voluntarily and then do so in the next life. Or in this life, you can choose to stand your ground, do your thing. But in the next life, Jesus is going to say, get down on a knee. And you're going to say, yes, sir. Someday we will all bow at the name of Jesus and we will all confess him as Lord. Some willfully, some not so willfully. But when you encounter Jesus, you will have to. Because his name is worthy of our worship. Think about this. Do you know of any other name on planet Earth that has that kind of power? I was thinking, I just wrote down a few names this week. I have to be careful with these. I'm going to get in trouble. But think of some of the powerful names in our nation right now. Gates, Biden, Fossey, Bezos. Think I could name them all. Some of you are like, can we say those names in church? We did. (laughs) And as powerful as those individuals may think that they are, They can spend billions of dollars and cruise up into space, but my Bible says that God holds space in his hands. They can buy up all this stuff around the world they want, thinking they're so powerful and their name is worthy of worship. But David says, no, 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 Lord, our Lord, personal God, ever existing, master of the universe, your name is magnificent 
in all of the earth, and no one else compares. No one else compares. Here's the second thing David, as he talks to God, teaches us to talk to God. He talks to God and praises him for his personal nature. Look what he says there in verse, uh, verse number three is where we're going to start. He says, when I observe your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you set in place, what is a human being? What is a man that you remember him and the son of man that you look after him? I read that verse. I was reminded of a trip I took when I was 15 years old, northern Kentucky, to go camping with my aunt and uncle. And when I say camping, y'all know what I mean, sleeping in a camper, air conditioning, running water and toilets and donuts. We've talked about this before. Y'all know where I stand about camping. If you camp in tents, I don't understand you. You're weird. You need to get saved kind of thing. All right? So we camped the way God intended it, campers. So I can remember me and my buddy Brandon one night with our family, my mom and dad, my aunt and uncle, we went out to Stars. It was probably 10, 30, 11 o'clock at night. You're in the middle of nowhere. You can see the entire sky. We laid in the back of a couple trucks. Many of you, I'm sure, have done this. And you look up into the vastness of the sky. You see shooting stars. You can find the North Star, the Big Dipper, Orion's Belt. You see maybe the sat, one of the satellites going by. And then you see that airplane. Try to figure out what that is. We've all done that. And we've looked up into the night sky. Why, why do we do those things? What does that make you feel like in that moment? Hopefully insignificant. When you look at the night sky, you should feel a level of insignificance. It's meant to remind you, like, hey, this isn't a positive message. Follow me. Compared to the vastness of the universe, we're insignificant. <laughs> you ever feel like you're more important than you actually are? I do that all the time. And then you look up into the vastness of the cosmos, and you're like, I'm a speck in everything that God has created. But track with me here. <laughs> this is important. Notice what David says in verses 3 and 4. He's writing and he's looking at the stars. One commentator I read this week, he said of this of Israel, that when they looked at the sky, they viewed it as the canvas of Yahweh. I thought that was such a cool phrase. I wanted to tell you that. But David in verses 3 and 4 is looking at the vastness of God's creation, the cosmos, stars innumerable in the sky. And what conclusion does that draw him to? He says, who am I? David says, I, I am insignificant in the expanse of what God created. I'm so insignificant. Yet, look at verse 4. What is a human being that you remember him? What, what else is he going to say? In the expanse of all of that, you still look after me. You see, friends, in the vastness of the cosmos, what I want us to understand is this, is we are not significant because of who we are. We're significant because of whose we are. Apart from God, friends, we, we have zero significance we're simply a mass of cells that happen to evolve over millions of years with no purpose and meaning. Apart from God, life just ceases to exist. You, you exist, you live, you die, you're gone in that worldview and ideology. But when you unite your life to the creator of the universe, to Jesus Christ, you go from insignificant to significant. Because the one who created all things says that you're his, you're part of his family, and you're the prized possession of all creation that he has made. That's where David points us here, divinely created, unimaginably loved. We praise a personal God that sees us in the vastness of an infinite universe and invites us into relationship with him. Look at verse 2 with me. Verse 2 actually speaks of this. I wanted to come back to it. It says, from the mouths of infants and nursing babies, you've established, we talk about this, a stronghold on account of your adversaries in order to silence the enemy and the avenger. There's a twofold meaning here. First off, verse 2 links back to verse 1 of Psalm chapter 8. 
And here's the big idea. Children are an evidence of God's majesty. Nobody said amen to that. (laughs) David wants us to know that children are an evidence of God's majesty. That when you see a newborn baby, when a baby enters into the world, that's an evidence of God's creative majesty. It's a miracle. It's a miracle that God does that, that that's how God chose to repopulate the earth. It's it's one of the most majestic things in all the universe, and it speaks to God's glory. But also, that verse speaks to the personal nature of God deserving of our praise. Look at it again, verse number 2. Let me read it again. From the mouths of infants and nursing babies, what does this happen? You established a stronghold, a barrier, a fortress to do what? On account of your adversaries. So what's going to happen? The enemy will be silenced. You know what's going on there? That's prophetic of Jesus. That's prophetic of Jesus. David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as he's praising God in this psalm, God is also communicating truth to you and me that that is prophetic of Jesus. Follow me. Because when Jesus entered this world, he does not come as a king riding on a white horse ready to defeat Rome. He came as a helpless baby in a manger. And at that first cry of Jesus' breath, that cry, I believe, echoed throughout all creation and the demons trembled. Why? Because they knew from that baby that ultimately the sins of mankind would be forgiven. Death, hell, sin, the grave, and the devil would be defeated because of a baby. God used a baby to redeem you and I back to himself. He's a personal God. He didn't leave us in our sin to wander on our own. No, no, no. He came as one of us in the form of a baby to rescue us, to draw us back to himself so that we can know him and be known by him. Why? Because he is a personal God. Point number three. This stuff excites me, man. God gave us a purpose. David praises God for his purpose. Look at this here, starting in verse 5. You made him a little less than God. That's a freaky verse if you don't know what that means. We're going to talk about that in a second. It says you crowned him with glory and honor, and you made him ruler over the works of your hands. You put everything under his feet. There's symbolism right there. All the sheep and the oxen and the animals in the wild, the birds of the sky and the fish of the sea that pass through the currents of the seas. What is David reminding us here? It's this, that God has a purpose for your life. Friends, verse number five reminds us that God is the sovereign creator over all things in the universe, and he creates you and I with purpose. Did you know in the creative order that you're one of the highest of God's creations, that you're higher than the angels? Someday in eternity, God will allow you to rule and reign over them. That's pretty cool. They're servants of us, the scripture says. You're highest in God's creative order. You're higher than dogs. We're higher than lions. We're higher than everything. Because we've been marked by the Creator. God marked us very specifically and He gave us purpose. There's a couple things David highlights here. First off, God gave us dominion over His creation. We're going to talk about that in just a moment. And secondly, we're the only ones of God's creation that were created in His image. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. If you flip there, you can look in your Bible. We see right there that we were created, Adam and Eve, to have dominion over God's creation. What does that mean? It means that we've been entrusted with the stewardship of what God has entrusted to us. That there's certain things in your life God has allowed you to have that you've been entrusted to steward well for the glory of God. Let me give you a few examples of these. The house you live in, it's not yours, it's God's. He allowed you to borrow it for his glory. The income you have, it's not yours. You may seem like you worked for it. God still gave it to you. 
and you're entrusted to steward it for God's glory. The children that you parent, you've been given them by God with the task of stewarding them for God's glory. They're not yours, they're his. He let you borrow them. The spouse that God allowed you to marry, they're not yours, they're his. He entrusted you to steward them well for God's glory. You name it, God entrusted it to you and he allowed you to steward it for God's glory. I tell this story all the time. I can remember a couple years ago when Sophia got so upset at me about something. That's my oldest daughter. She was probably seven at the time. She stormed off to her room in our former house and I remember stomping up the stairs. I'm going to my room. Pause. Let me explain something to you, little girl. That's my room. I let you borrow it. The clothes on your back, just so you know, those are my clothes. The food that is in your belly is my food, and I let you have it. If I wanted it back, I'd figure it out. All the snacks in the pantry, those are mine. I let you use them. The bed that you sleep in, that's my bed. I let you sleep in it. Any money that is in your piggy bank is my money, and if I want to go get it, I'm going to because it's mine, and I let you have it. It's all mine, and it's just on loan to you until I decide I want it back. That's lordship. That's, that's dominion. Sometimes we can hear this word dominion. God gave us dominion over creation, which means I have to just be the boss of everything. No, no, no. Dominion is stewardship. God let it on loan to you. What will you do with it? We praise him for that. Secondly, uh, David also reminds us here that we were created to bear God's image. What does that mean? This is so important. If you've never heard this before, created in the image of God means that you have the ability to critically think you have the ability to critically decide, and you and I have emotion that we can do something with and we can choose to control. I heard one uh, speaker one time say that the image of God is God's thumbprint on humanity, that we're the only ones with the thumbprint of God on our lives. What does that mean? It means we're his representatives here in creation, that God chose you and I and the vastness of all of his creation to be his representatives here on earth, that through our lives, we have the opportunity to point people to him. How I speak, the decisions that I make, the way that I think, how I interact with people. I'm an image bearer of God and I can point people directly back to him. So what is David doing here in these last few verses? He's praising God that he has purpose. He's not a mass of cells in the infinite cosmos that is someday going to cease to exist. No, no, no. David says, I'm personally known by you and you've given me purpose in my life. Friends, apart from God, we don't have purpose. Do we understand that? You live, you die, you cease to exist. That's your purpose apart from God. To what end? Amass as much as you can to just eventually leave it all behind? What kind of stewardship is that? But with God as the central point of our lives, David says, no, 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 I am a steward of everything that's his, and I'm going I'm to steward it for his glory. And I'm going I'm to maybe someday I will leave it behind, but I'm going to have used it to God's glory. That's why he gave it to me. Think about this as image bearers. Apart from God, how do we bear the image of him? Yeah, we're humans, but God created us as image bearers to reflect his glory to the whole creation. It, apart from God, all I do as an image bearer, let's be honest, is I just try to build a name for myself. I want to build a name for myself, get more powerful so people know me and ultimately what is going to happen. No matter how big of a name you build for yourself, likelihood after you die, people will forget you within 10 years, if not 10 weeks. To what end? Yet I can choose to be an image bearer of the God Yahweh through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's not about Aaron, it's about making the name of Jesus known. 
It's stewarding the image of God in me to make his glory known to all of creation. David is praising God for that kind of purpose. And friends, sin seeks to steal that from us. We see that all over our nation right now. I have to amass more. I have to build a name for myself. I must do all of these things. Yet the gospel reminds us, no, no, no. We were created with the purpose of stewardship and image bearing, dominion and image bearing to the glory of God as ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20, to make the image and name of Jesus known to all of the world. You have a purpose that matters. You have a purpose that matters. Let me close with this thought. When we think of this idea of talking to God, right? So today specifically on, on just praising Him. Sometimes that's going to manifest through the singing of songs. Sometimes that's going to manifest maybe through, through very intentional times of prayer. But when we think of this idea of talking to God, I, I've just been reminded of just this. You can do it all the time, I think is maybe the phrase I'm looking for. I, I, this past Thursday, I was, I was here in the church office. I was getting things cleaned up. Mission team was at a campsite. I get a text message from Pastor Joe. He says, are you free this afternoon? You need to come here to this camp. So yeah, I come here. What's going on? He said, one of the mission team had just uh, shared Jesus with this child, and they mentioned the Bible, and the kid had said something to the effect of, I don't have one of those, and I've never seen one. Joe said, we, we need you to bring a Bible so we can give it to this kid. So we got permission from the camp, and I went into our bookshelf in there, and we've got a row at the very bottom. If you need a Bible, we have Bibles that you can have, by the way. And I'm looking for a, more of a, a children's Bible to give to the kid and then an adult Bible to give to mom and dad. They didn't have them. And, and as I'm sifting through that bottom shelf, I may have shown you this before. This Bible. This Bible is uh, 18 years, 23 days old. Maybe, somewhere right around there. I haven't pulled this Bible off the shelf in a long time. Because what's cool about this Bible is in the very back of it, it says these words. On July 3rd, 2003, I, Aaron Taylor, trusted Jesus as my Savior. This Bible, what makes it so significant to me, is this is the Bible that right at the moment that I bowed my knee and I gave my life to Jesus 18 years ago, that when I stood up, Tab Edwards put this Bible in my hands. And God in his absolute sovereignty in that moment, you know, all I did was this. I grabbed the two Bibles I needed to take to Joe. I flipped back and I looked at that. I set it on the shelf. I said, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And I went about my day. That's where David directs us. We can praise God through singing. We can praise God through intentional times of prayer. But, but friends, the, the posture that I want us to all really try to learn to take in these coming weeks, thank you, Jesus. And you're incredible. I can't believe I get to do what I do. I can't believe you've called me your own. I can't believe I get to live where I live. Thank you, Jesus. You're worthy of that praise. It's that simple. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the Psalms. God, I pray that this has been an encouragement to your church. I, I pray that it drives us to a deeper understanding and relationship with Jesus. And God, I pray for my friends that maybe they don't know Jesus as their Savior yet, that even in this moment, that they would seek out that divine purpose like we talked about. God, repenting of that sin that has separated them from you and, and God, inviting you back into their life, filling the void that sin creates in each one of us. 
And God, we know on the authority of your word that when we repent of sin and cry out to you to be our Savior, that your spirit indwells us now, that you call us your children. You change our lives in the present, but also for all eternity. What an honor that is, Lord. Thanks for our time and your word together. And I pray now as we sing that it echoes through the corridors of heaven's courts to give you the praise and the glory that is only deserved to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. Hey, friends, will you stand with me?